This is episode 146 with four-time obstacle racing world champion, ultra runner, and a new resident of the great state of Colorado, Ms. Amelia Boone. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm also the head coach of Strength Running, our community of tens of thousands of runners all around the world. And the goal of this show is to give you new ideas, tools, and strategies for improving your running. Whether that's running a new distance, hitting a certain finish time, or avoiding your next injury, I'll be bringing you the leaders in the fitness industry to help you reach more of your big running goals. From elite runners to performance psychologists, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, and physical therapists who can help make our running dreams become a reality. Because with more knowledge, you'll have more of a competitive advantage. The more you know, the better decisions you'll make about your training. If you're new to the show, we have 145 other episodes, a video channel on YouTube, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can see all of our coaching programs, detailed guides on everything from injury prevention to running for beginners, to how you can build mental skills like anxiety management and mental toughness. Let me also thank our sponsor, Path Projects, for supporting this podcast and the broader running community by making premium running gear at an affordable price. I'm constantly wearing my pair of Sykes 5-inch shorts, but very soon I'll be getting a pair of their new Wildcat 3-inch racing shorts. If they function as well as the other gear I have from Path, I know I'm going to love them. You can check out all of their products at pathprojects.com. All right, our guest today is none other than Amelia Boone. Amelia is a giant in the obstacle course racing world, and she's dabbled in some ultra marathons over the last few years as well. Many of your fans know she struggled with an eating disorder and spent time in treatment last year. She's now in recovery. She just moved to Colorado. And if you follow her on Instagram, you'll see that she's been riding her elliptigo on the front range's big climbs over the last few months. Our discussion today focuses on Amelia's mindset and how she thinks about confidence and being true to herself. She also shares what her self-talk sounds like, so you'll get a sneak peek into the story Amelia tells herself late in a race. She's also a self-admitted, strong self-critic, so we explore ways of reframing this criticism to make it work for you. I've always looked up to Amelia and admired her work ethic, her talent, and her drive, but also her vulnerability and how she invites us along as she deals with her struggles. Amelia gave me some courage last year to share how losing my grandfather was so incredibly hard for me and the toll that that took. So I hope you take away some lessons from this episode, because no doubt there's a lot to learn from such an admirable human being. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Amelia Boone. Hey, Amelia, it's always great to catch up with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I was thinking about when the last time it was that we talked, and I feel like a lot has changed <laughs> since then. <laughs> yeah, a lot has changed. You've become a Colorado resident I since have. we last have. Yes. I'm super excited about that. I know. I wish we could do this in person because I'm here yeah. in Denver. Uh, but alas, these are not normal times. No, definitely not. It, it, was, a, it was kind of a strange time to move. Um, but hey, it's... Uh, it's been keeping me occupied, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, giving you a little extra work. Yeah. How are you enjoying the centennial state? Uh, I love it. I mean, it's been a move that's been a long time coming for me. Um, I, you know, I was in the Bay Area for a very long time, 
um, and uh, primarily because working for Apple. Um, and I always, I never wanted to leave Apple, but I never really felt at home in the Bay area. Um, so they were very, um, understanding and respectful of that and gave me the opportunity to work full-time remote. Um, and so I was jumped on that and, um, decided, you know, okay, I finally make this work and moved out to Colorado. So, um, I am, really enjoying just exploring everything around here. That is super new to me though. It's funny because everyone's like, yeah, that's, that's, we're used to that, Amelia. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's so cool because it's new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure a Apple now has no excuse not to let you work remotely now that everyone's working remotely. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because it was approved before all of this, you know, started. And then now I think that companies all over the place are looking at, hey, do we really need people to come into offices all the time? Um, so there's a lot of shifting things for sure. Yeah. Now, did you move here primarily for the training environment? Because I know that, you know, there's just so many high level runners, triathletes, cyclists here in the Denver Boulder area. Yeah, it was a combination of things. Frankly, I... The big thing for me that I realized these past few years is that I, the thing that I value more than anything is community. Um, and I struggled to ever really build that in the Bay Area. And that's a lot on me too, um, probably. But so I started looking at places to move to that had great training that I also knew a lot of people. Um, and that just seemed like I could start to like build um, a good in-person community. I think for so long I had seen racing and traveling around to races as the way to be social, which is great. But on like the day to day, I, it was lacking for me. So a part of it was a training, but a part of it was just also because I have so many friends around here and they're all clearly also like high level athletes too. So it kind of a double whammy. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And and you probably found one of the best distance running communities in the United States, I think. I mean, Bend, Oregon, they got a pretty good one up there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know if I could deal with the weather <laughs> up there in Bend. Um, yeah, but yeah, now, are you in Boulder it. or are you in Golden? I am in Golden. Yeah. So oh, very I, cool. yeah, I love... Um, I love Boulder. I do. Um, I also realize people talk a lot about the Boulder bubble. Um, and so I think I kind of just, I fell in love with Golden. Um, and it's a super short trip up to Boulder. So I can see a bunch of my friends up there, but then I can also kind of like come down here and I'm closer to Denver. And so I really, really love the area for sure. Yeah. Well, I've been obviously following you on Instagram and you're, you know, you're, you're going up Lookout Mountain, you're in Golden Gate Canyon. I'm like, oh man, this is like where I love to run and ride my bike. And so we're doing a lot of the same routes. It's really cool. And, uh, you're, you're seeing some of the just most beautiful, I think, areas of the front range. Uh, you're never going to leave. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I mean, I am literally closing on house next week. I may just have jinxed the entire deal, but I, so I told myself, I was like, yep putting down roots here. Um, and it's, it's fun. I really love just exploring a new backyard, literally. Now, how are you adjusting to the altitude here? Is that, is that having an impact on your workouts at all? Um, you know, I, because it's actually have been a perfect time for me to move since there's really no racing. Um, so everything that we've been doing has just been easy kind of base building, I do notice it is frustrating, <laughs> like running it, like hills and mountains climbing. I still feel 
entirely out of shape. Um, I mean, I've been here about coming on, but I'm like six weeks now. Um, and I don't notice it on a daily basis with my running. Um, but definitely if I'm doing like substantial amounts of climbing, then I I start to really feel it. And especially if I go up to like evergreen or anywhere up up to bags or something like that, (laughs) I'm like, okay, 9,000 feet is totally different. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As soon as you get up to like eight, 9,000 feet, the game is just totally different up there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know that I struggled with it a lot. I struggle too, because, you know, I'm an East coast guy, uh, grew up in Massachusetts, lived outside of Washington, D.C. for a long time. And I wasn't used to not really feeling like I was sweating very much <laughs> out here in Colorado. And I just don't think it's the same like prompt to drink so much water. And wow, you can get really dehydrated here. Yeah, I've had to be, I've never had an issue with dehydration just because I generally drink so much water, but I've noticed it a bunch up here. And that's the one thing that I will notice is that I have to carry water with me on runs shorter than what I'm used to. Um, just because of that. And like, you're right. I, the weirdest thing was I was like, I'm not, I would come back from a run and be completely dry. And I'd be like, I don't feel like I sweated at all. But then I would notice this weird, like salty crust layer on me, but no sweat. Um, so it is, it's just, it's, uh, it's been kind of interesting to also, um, not have cues when I need to shower, I think. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I always struggled um, mentally with kind of the altitude and the dry air because, you know, you'd go out and, and even just for an easy run, it would feel the same as any other easy run. But then you'd look down at your watch and you'd be like, oh, wow, I actually completed that much slower than I normally do. And at the beginning, when I first moved here back in 2014, I found that that really knocked my confidence a bit. You know, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not in as good shape as I thought I was. You know, why Why is this pace feeling so much more difficult than it should? Uh, I know you're not getting ready for any races right now, but is that something you've experienced with kind of the confidence side of things? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I've <laughs> given how many starts and stops I've had with injuries um, over the past few years. Um, I've never really, it's been a while since I've seen what I would think are like quote unquote normal paces for me. Um, so I don't really, this is the first time where I've actually had a training block that's been several months of like uninterrupted. Um, so I guess I like, I try to not really like focus on the, the pace part that much, um, especially because we know, especially with like ultras and whatnot, paces just get thrown out the window. Um, But I think that it definitely is very humbling. I've had a few runs here, especially they always seem to be my long runs where I just bonk way earlier than I would expect. Or I'd be like, what, I'm not drinking enough. I'm not feeling enough. I've had a couple of hilarious like incidences like that. Um, and the same thing with just um, uh, getting used to uh, also like as the heat ramps up too. I didn't realize like how being closer to the sun and altitude, it can just, I sometimes I'm like, oh my God, why does it feel so ungodly warm? Um, so just, just a lot of errors <laughs> that I'm working on. <laughs> Learning opportunities. That's what they are. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I struggled with that when we got here because uh, like you're just right, it's it's so much more challenging. And uh, about a year after we moved here, I entered my first 50K. I wanted to run my first ultra. 
and it was uh, in Golden Gate State Park. Um, and I, I only made it uh, up to about 18 miles or so. And I was averaging like nine minute miles. I was so dehydrated. My IT band was so unhappy with me. I felt like my knee was about to explode. And that was one of the more humbling experiences that I've ever had as a runner because I don't think I was ready for the altitude swinging up to eight, 10,000 feet and the incredible amounts of gain. So if you're up in the mountains, it can just be uh, such a humbling experience. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because now I look at people, you know, who run Leadville and things like that. And I'm just like, I don't know. How do you do it? <laughs> you know? Um, and the other thing with Colorado that I'm getting used to is um, the wind. Um, because I'm not like, sometimes you'll be like, man, I'm flying. I'm flying. You're on an outback. And then you turn around and you're like, oh, that's why I'm flying. Because now I'm running into a 25 mile an hour headwind. Um, and we get some really bad winds here around Golden. Um, and so I like to say those are character building for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, and Golden is kind of in an interesting spot. It's almost like you're in a valley between these two m mountains or mesas. And yeah, the wind does get a little dicey up there. I've had some really tough climbs up Lookout Mountain in Golden where, you know, you're, you're clean, clinging on to your bike for dear life because you're about to get, you know, thrown off the side. <laughs> now, try doing that on an elliptical where you're standing upright. Um, and it is very, very scary. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. I don't trust myself on a bike, never mind uh, an elliptical. You went like 40 miles an hour on your elliptical the other day. Is that yeah. right? I, yeah, yesterday, actually coming down Golden Date, I clocked, yeah, 39 um, which I was like, I know for a cyclist isn't that fast, but you also have to think like I'm standing upright. You're not very aerodynamic, which is a good thing because it helps slow you down. But, um, I try to not think about that as I'm going down a mountain on it. Yeah. I've had one bad bike crash and that changed me as a cyclist forever. I'm just not as aggressive going down hills anymore because I remember what it was like going about 32 miles an hour and just going straight down on the pavement. And yeah. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that everyone says you get your first bike crash and you're going to be very, very different. I'm like, I just hope to never get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's better not to for sure. Uh, so Amelia, I want to spend most of our conversation today talking about the mental side of running, about mindset, and about some of the psychological skills that help us become better athletes. And I, I really wanted to talk to you about this. I think you're an excellent person to talk to about this, not because you have everything figured out, but because you've been very transparent in the past that you don't. Um, you've been very open about having an eating disorder, and you've been quite vulnerable about that experience. Um, and you had an amazing conversation with Rich Roll about it on his podcast. And I think he did an excellent job facilitating that conversation. Uh, but I'm curious about, you know, you were struggling with this at a time uh, that, you know, you were also winning world obstacle course racing championships and just at the top of the elite OCR world. How did you think about that? On, on the one hand, you're like this unstoppable athlete. Your nickname is literally the queen of pain. But on the other side, you're suffering with an eating disorder. Is that, how did you rectify that in your head? I couldn't. Um, and I think that that's what was so hard for me. And I think that that's eventually what led me to going back into treatment and seeking more help. 
But I think it's very easy um, when you're at the top of anything. Like when I was at the top of the obstacle racing world and winning pretty much every race out there, um, it was easy to justify that I actually didn't have a problem because um, I was doing so well. Because I kept telling myself, okay, well, if I wasn't feeding myself properly, if I actually really was struggling with an eating disorder still, I wouldn't be performing this well. And so as long as everything was clicking on the performance side, it was pretty easy to dismiss um, like the thoughts and the obsessions and things like that. And just telling myself, oh, this is normal. Like everybody has disordered behaviors or thoughts around food. Everyone, you know, is dissatisfied with their body, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as I know now, um, your body can actually survive very well for a little while and then everything will come crashing down. And so with when I ended up with stress fracture in my femur, um, it was easy to kind of like write off as just like a one-off training errors. You know, I was preparing for Western states, et cetera, et cetera. But then as the stress fracture started to pile up, I started to realize like that was that moment where I was like, okay, this is actually a problem. And what you've been struggling with internally is now starting to manifest externally. And um, that was the point for me where I started to really have to take a look inside and be like, this is a problem. Absolutely. Do you think it's common for people to have this public facing perfect image of themselves that they project out to the world while at the same time struggling with something privately? Oh, I think it's incredibly common. I think everyone out there has something like that. Um, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, I don't know if I ever, I never intentionally attempted to put out this persona. Um, I think that maybe I got carried away sometimes in like how, you know, when a media or when a magazine article would be written about me or something like that. And then I think that you just, it was an image that was created for me. And I kind of felt pressure to play into that. Um, and so as I started to kind of chip away with at that, as that, um, you know, I first started to do that when I was after I like broke my femur and my sacrum. And then I started talking about, you know, like wanting to race happy and about how miserable I had been like being at the top of the sport and things like that. So I started to slowly chip away at it, but I think it's, it's so common and everyone is battling something or another. Um, and I've actually been very heartened by how many people in recent times have started to speak up about that because um, they gave me courage to speak up about mine. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think the more people do speak out and talk about the things that they're struggling with, the more it, it almost creates a permission structure for other people to come to terms with whatever they're struggling with. And it totally reminds me of, of you know, everyone tries to project this image on social media all the time of, you know, I live this perfect life. Look at all these Instagram photos. Well, you know, at the same time, that's the highlight reel. That is not real life. And I think, uh, a lot of us can fall into that comparison trap of looking at other people and thinking that they have it all figured out, that they're living some perfect life when nobody is and, and everyone is is dealing with something. And I think that is something that we should all recognize. Absolutely. And I think that for some people like that, you don't necessarily, I've, everyone copes and deals and handles in different ways. So 
you don't have to air your dirty laundry out to the world. You know, for some people, social media, like I think it's perfectly fine if you just want to put on a highlight reel and just put out the happy stuff and then deal with all of the hard stuff internally. For me, I found that I, I, I can't, I feel much better when I'm expressing all parts of myself, but it's just, it's an entirely different calculus for everyone. But I think we all need to be cognizant that like what you see out there is not the whole truth. Um, and that goes, you know, for all platforms. And I've really struggled with that, especially in the comparison trap with mileage for like running and whatnot, you know, and the advent of Strava and people being like, oh, well, if you're an ultra runner, you should be running hundred something mile weeks. And, and, um, you know, I think that's everyone needs to like look critically at themselves and think like, well, maybe that's not for me, you know, it's good for them, but maybe not for me. Right. And I think that comparison trap is is one of the more common, uh, let's say, mental pitfalls that a lot of runners can find themselves in, particularly because we find ourselves in this social media world where everyone's posting their 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 mileage, their workouts, their splits on Twitter and Instagram and Strava. And it can really wreak havoc on your confidence because you know, what works for some runners may not necessarily work for others. And uh, I think it's really important to find what works for you and also what makes you happy. You know, what brings you joy, uh, whether that's riding the elliptical up lookout or <laughs> doing something totally different. You know, you have to do what uh, is helpful for your unique circumstances. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think me personally, I've, it's been a long process, but I've had to kind of come to terms that I'm always going to be a lower mileage runner. Um, like right now, I mean, I do 45 to 50 miles a week, which, you know, for a lot of people, that's like good mileage. But if I'm looking at the comparison to other ultra runners, that's very, very low, but I enjoy it. And then I do, and it gives me the latitude to do several days a week on the elliptigo. And I absolutely enjoy that. I'm going to get a gravel bike soon. And so I think that um, like I've kind of come to this acceptance that my training isn't going to look like everybody else's just because of my history, my injury history. And I'm kind of okay with that, <laughs> to be totally honest. I mean, yeah. if, I had, if I had my druthers, I would be out there running 100 mile weeks with everybody else because I just love to run that much. But, you know, there's other, there's other opportunities. There's other ways to go about it as well. Yeah, I felt the same way too with regard to mileage when I was a, a college runner and then the couple years after college where I was still training really hard uh, because, you know, I had a lot of friends who were running over 100 miles a week and I was like, well, this is what you need to do to become good. Yet I always got hurt once I maxed out around 85 or 90 miles a week and it always seemed like I was such a failure because I couldn't get to that mileage level. Then I was never racing the times that I wanted to run in certain distances and it was almost this this spiral of negativity and that that can really wreak havoc on your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Now, did any of this uh you know, this kind of like the the public side of yourself that I know you, you didn't necessarily promote yourself, but, um, you know, that was out there. And then these personal struggles that you were dealing with, did that ever knock your confidence? Because it doesn't really seem like it did from the outside. I mean, it definitely did. I mean, I think that, I, I mean, it. my confidence started being like, 
I lost all confidence when I started like multiple injuries and things like that. Um, I think, and I think that that's when I started to actually take a look inside internally and acknowledge that part of myself instead of just, instead of just, um, you know, keep going on being like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. As long as I'm winning. But I think what really was tough, well, the hardest part for me was I had spent so many years thinking and fearing that if I was no longer winning races, then that was the only way that I thought I would have people like me or get affection from people um, is to be up on that pedestal, to have people like revere me. Um, and I was actually very, very lonely you know, um, as opposed to like actually just being a well-rounded person, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think that, um, as I went through so many injuries, as I, you know, like stopped doing a lot of racing, I really had to struggle with that. Like if I'm not winning races, like who am I? Um, and like, what is my identity beyond, like world champion obstacle racer. When was the last time that you won a race? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think I won like a, a 50 K ultra in like 2018, maybe. So, so you're kind of living. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's almost like you're living the, the, what you feared the most. You're not on the podium anymore. You're yeah. not winning world championships, but as someone from the outside who, you know, I, I love following you on social media. I love seeing what you're up to and, and really just kind of hearing your thoughts on, you know, life. And I, I like to read what you're grateful for in the morning. You know, you post your 10 things that you're grateful for. And it, it seems like despite the fact that you're not on the podium right now, your, you know, I think your fan base is bigger than ever precisely because you have opened up and you're sharing more of yourself and you're sharing the entire Amelia Boone rather than just one facet of yourself. Yeah. And that's so interesting that you, I've never thought about, like I am, I am literally living what my worst nightmare would have been. Like if you'd asked me back in like 2013, this would, I guess, be like my worst nightmare right now. And the funny thing is, is I feel more at peace than I ever was when I was at the top of the sport. Um, and I think that also has to do with the fact that I'm taking on races that are kind of like non-traditional in a lot of ways, you know, like that's <laughs> Barkley, Big's Backyard, things like that too. And like a, a lot of, I've had a lot of fantastic quote unquote failures these past few years, but I find those so like, more immensely fulfilling than anything else. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that. I think failure is one of those things that it's so much worse in our head before it happens. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, look at you now, now you're in Colorado, you're just rocking and rolling, uh, up lookout and golden gate Canyon. And, and I, I don't think that you would ever say to yourself right now, wow, this is the nightmare that, that I was, I was so fearful of in the past. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's the anticipation of it um, that is always worse um, than what actually comes after. I remember like the first time that I didn't get on a podium at a race and I was like, oh my God, the world is going to fall down, like come crash. Is the sun going to rise tomorrow? 
And I remember my friend being like, you know what? Tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to put your pants on the same way that you did the day before and the world goes on. I was like, Amelia, we all know that you don't like pants. I know. And then I was, that was going to be my follow up. And I was like, but (laughs) they would be, those would be running shorts, correct? Not pants, but I understand. (laughs) Does that, uh, does does your experience over the last couple of years with, coming to, to to face some of these fears, has it changed your relationship with with failure and and not accomplishing some of the things that you thought you needed to accomplish? Absolutely. I mean, I think now I what's I feel very free now um, with regards to sport and running, especially is that I think I used to be afraid of taking on races or taking on challenges that I knew would have a high likelihood of me like that were not in my wheelhouse, for instance. Now I realize like I, that's what I gravitate towards is that, I mean, that's why I got into obstacle racing is that it was a challenge. It was something new and I wanted to master it. Um, and I did, and that was great. But now I'm like, Oh, that's what drives me is like that is that mastery of something and taking on those challenges. And along the way, you're going to like, it's not going to be pretty along the way. And so now I just feel totally free. Like the other day, like the other day I have in my mind that I actually really want to get into cyclocross. No idea. Just learned about cyclocross like a month ago, but for some unknown reason, now I really want to do it. And I'm sure I'll be really bad at it. Um, But I'm just not afraid anymore of, like not doing well, quote unquote. Yeah. And I think that's liberating. I mean, that is, that just frees you to, to try new things, to experiment with different sports, different training ideas, you know, forms of cross training and all that, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, you would have recoiled at, you know, riding an elliptigo. You'd rather be running a hundred miles a week, but, but here you are and you're probably having a great time with it. I mean, you're going 40 miles an hour in elliptigo. How can you not have a great time? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Now, Amelia, you've mentioned in the past that you're a strong Um, Mm self-critic. So I'm curious if you have any strategies that help you reframe some of that criticism, that that negative self-talk in your head, uh, and and potentially make it work for you. Yeah. um, This is funny because I actually was just talking to my therapist about this yesterday because we, our number one goal is quieting my very strong inner self-critic. And what's funny is that I, and maybe other people are like this too, I I extend so much compassion and so much forgiveness to everyone else around me, but like have a very hard time extending that same grace to myself. Um, So any mistakes, any failures, any quote unquote things like that, I can like get into this vicious cycle of like self-flagellation over and over again. And it's really doesn't really do anything. It just turns into rumination. Like if you're repeatedly like lashing yourself over a mistake, like I, you're not learning anything from it. Um, so I'll be completely honest in that this is still my biggest struggle. Um, it's not so much anymore about like, I used to do it over race results and things like that. And that is kind of far from my mind, maybe because we all haven't been racing for a while at this point. And maybe because that part I've kind of, as I've said, I've kind of gotten over that quote unquote failure and racing. Um, but I think that what I really try and do is, 
is separate the the thoughts, the critics, like the harsh self-talk, and then like re and constantly try and reframe it. Reframe it as a lesson, reframe it not necessarily as like a silver lining. I'm not a really big fan of the whole silver linings things. Um but you know, to just to recognize that voice and to realize that like it doesn't actually serve me. And I do realize in a lot of ways like that a strong inner self-critic is actually really good for performance, like in the middle of a race where you can be like, suck it up and keep going. Like you got, you know, like you're stronger than this, you know, like there is a reason that a lot of that, I would say the vast majority of top athletes probably have that really driving voice in them. But I think it's also at a certain point, you have to recognize that it becomes counterproductive. Um, and so it's, that's a constant thing I'm trying to figure out. I do not have an, a good magic bullet for that. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems, it almost seems like something that you spent, you know, most of your life dealing with and addressing and trying to, to, you know, make more productive for you. Um, and, and I, I, t- I think I agree. I totally agree that I, I think most runners, uh, particularly the ones who are really interested in improvement and getting better and performance, you know, whether they're on the podium or whether they're, you know, far from the podium, they they do have this kind of sense of I need to always be getting better. And if I'm not, I'm going to judge myself harshly. And on the one hand, I, I think that's partly necessary in a sport like running where you know, you, you do have to push yourself hard and you do have to sometimes ignore feelings of discomfort, but at the same time, it has to be done in a healthy way. And, you know, when you're at the end of a race screaming at yourself to, to go, 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 no matter what, you know, that's one thing, but you know, in life and when you're, when you have all these outside issues that are impacting your performance and how you're feeling, I think it, you know, it serves you to be a little bit kinder to yourself. Yeah. And I, I always try and tell myself, and this is like the motto that I carry with me about other people and that I try and carry and, you know, bestow upon myself is that I truly believe that people are doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time. And some people have different tools in the toolbox. Um, and I have to remember that myself as well is that like, I truly believe I'm doing the best that I can. And some days, like, that means it means different things, you know? And, but, and like, it's a very tough struggle, I think for a lot of athletes. to like, when do I give myself grace and tell myself, you know what, maybe today you need a nap instead of a run, you know, versus like, when do you kick your butt to get out the door? Um, and I think that all we can do as athletes is really just like tune into that every single day and like, listen to and like really try and tune into our bodies. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be a day by day type of thing. Yeah. I, I think runners and and maybe endurance athletes in more generally are pretty good at that. I feel like we, uh, are taught early on both maybe by our coaches, but also through the process of trial and error and experience that, you know, we have to learn to listen to our bodies and decipher all the, the things that it's trying to tell us and really start to understand the language of, uh, you know, the physical and of the body. And, and I think yeah. that is a skill that we develop over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, uh, you know, at the same time, what I've experienced and I, maybe others have experienced this as well, is that there is a certain point, um, if you've had enough injuries too, that you start to not trust listening to your body. 
because you almost become, I spent so many years with injuries, like just being the quote unquote queen of pain and not, and just running through anything and being like, whatever. And then I swung to the other side of being overly like hypersensitive to any little niggle that I would immediately, I just, I was like, I can't like, there was so much sensory input because I was afraid everything was catastrophic. And so it's this like pendulum swing. And then now I feel like I'm kind of like coming back into the middle um, because I spent a very long time mistrusting my body. Um, And so when everyone was like, just listen to your body, I'd be like, I don't know what it's saying. (laughs) Um, So that is definitely also a work in progress. It's so interesting you say that because that was that was pretty much me in 2006, 2007. I was just always injured, you know, mm. Achilles tendinopathy. I had plantar fasciitis problems. I had weird SI joint issues, IT band syndrome. And whenever I got in really good shape and I was running great workouts and I was running high mileage, I would always like look around like, wait a minute, the injury boogeyman is right around the corner. And I, 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 maybe I need a recovery week. Uh, what, what's going on right now? I shouldn't be running this much. And, and that really starts to get to you because like you said, you just stop trusting yourself. And uh, I do feel like now kind of, you know, almost 15 years later, uh, while I'm not running 80 plus miles a week anymore, um, I'm, I'm still, I feel like better at judging, you know, what is a niggle, what is a real injury when I'm feeling good. And you really only get there through a lot of experience. Um, but Amelia, I want to talk a little bit more about self-talk because mm-hmm. I, I just think this area is just so, uh, fascinating. Um, and, and I, maybe I want to talk a little bit more about what your self-talk is like during a race. So, you know, when you're, when you're at the end of a race, when things are, are really hurting and you don't feel great, what does your self-talk look like? Uh, my self-talk is mainly, um, repeating song lyrics in my head sometimes. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. Hey, whatever um, works. Or like mantras. Um, this is, I will say that I've done this on multiple things and, um, a number of hundred K's that I've run. Uh, there's a Taylor Swift song called out of the woods. And, um, I literally say, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Um, and it's a lyric from that song. And sometimes I'll just like repeat that over and over and over again, because it's like, you're like three miles away from the end of a hundred K and you're just like, we're almost there. We're almost there. Um, and so I tell myself like, I've always had in races, like very compassionate self-talk of like, you know, you got this, like, we're like, you can do this, like, this will get better. Like if you're going through a rough patch, because I know for me, like I'm always going to hit rough patches. I normally hit them in races pretty early on. Um, and then like, I tend to get stronger as the race progresses. Um, so for me, when things get really overwhelming, it's also just, and I've done this forever is just breaking everything into little chunks. So it's get to that next aid station or not even get to the next aid station. If you're like climbing up a mountain and you like see a tree in the distance, I'm like, just get to that tree. Um, so, and then you realize, okay, now I'm at the tree now shoot for the next tree. Um, and so it's a constant kind of like pep talk in my brain, I suppose. It almost also seems a little irreverent, you know, you singing kind of fun lyrics when you're, you know, suffering in a hundred K do you, do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
it, does it work for you to not take things so super seriously when you're racing? Absolutely. I, um, the, one of the best things that I ever did, um, is to start. And unfortunately, maybe with COVID, we can't do this anymore is high-fiving everybody I would see on, um, during a race or even, even out on training runs, like on the trails, I started making a game of seeing how many people I could high-five. Um, and as I was like passing by them and, um, it helps me so much racing to take myself out of it and to focus on the surroundings. And which is why I love trail running so much because, you can focus on nature and which is why I love racing is because like you can focus on the other people around you. And, um, there's also a reason why I like really long races where people tend to go slower because it gives you more of a like breathing room to actually like stop and chat and connect with people. And so I think for me, when things get rough out there, I always connect back to like the, why am I doing this? And running for me has always been about, community and it's always been about that connection. And so any way that I can amplify that during a race um is really important to me. I'm thinking about a video that you posted on social a while back of you just bombing down this huge downhill and there's this line of people suffering on their way up and you're just giving everyone a high five on the way down. First I don't know how you didn't fall on your face because it was like this <laughs> narrow trail. It looked like you were on the edge of a cliff if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but yeah, you were, you, you must've gave like 30 high fives in like a, a 20 second clip. It was amazing. Yeah. That like, I, that's actually, I mean, that was, that was actually a short race. It was a 10 K and I hate running fast. And I was suffering so badly that I was like, Oh, this is the perfect opportunity. I can do a conga line of high fives. Cause it was an out and back. And, um, it really does. I mean, that goes down as like one of my greatest, like kind of like race moments and feelings for sure. <laughs> I have a friend who uh, recently ran a marathon. Eh, it was about a year ago, um, but he was training for it while I was not really training very hard. And he asked me to pace him for this half marathon. And I said, uh, okay, I'm not really in great shape. And uh, to, to pass the time during the race, because this was harder work than I really wanted it to be, uh, I, I, I loved seeing all of the photographers taking race photos out in the course. And one of my MOs is just being kind of ridiculous when I know they're taking photos of me, because then you have these totally amazing, hilarious photos of you just being goofy out there. And it really lightens the mood. And at least for me, uh, it takes my mind off the fact that I'm trying to run hard. And, and that's always... Uh, that's always something that I find fun in the moment. And then I yeah. really get a kick out of it later. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> Amelia, uh, I always love chatting with you. This is great. Um, thank you so much for, for talking to us about how you think about running and, uh, you know, some of the mental sides of, of training and thinking about your thinking, which I think is really valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you doing? What are you doing next? What's next in Amelia Boone's world? <laughs> You know, that's a really good question. Um, I, I mean, it's really going to depend on when racing comes back and whatnot. Um, so if things in the racing world side of my life, if things start up in the fall, I have a, a few races that I'm eyeing. Um, but other than that, I'm just, I'm really planning on adventuring. Um, I'm going to go down and do um, soft rock uh, in a few weeks since hard rock was canceled. Um, but we'll go like hike the course of like, you know, over three days and whatnot. And I mean, I have a huge playground 
that's all new to me here. So maybe do some like FKT attempts. We'll figure it out. Um, I'm just excited to explore Colorado right now. <laughs> yeah, there's no shortage of adventure here. Um, and are there any specific uh, either trail runs or FKTs that you're looking at here in Colorado? FKTs, I would really love to do the Colorado Trail at some point. Probably, it wouldn't be this year. Um, and that, cause that's a long one. That's like, what, 500 miles or so. Um, but probably like next year at some point. Now I think I just, you know, I've never, I want to do like a lot of the 14ers and whatnot. Um, and then in terms of racing, um, if anything, I'm looking more, it would be, um, like things not in Colorado, like in the, in the fall, um, if the Barkley fall classic happens, if big backyards happens, things like that. But, um, we all, it's all up in the air at this point. All right. Well, Amelia, thanks again for being here. I always love yeah. chatting with you. And, uh, if folks want to keep up with, with what you're up to these days, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, you can find me in many places, uh, Twitter. I'm at Amelia Boone, um, Instagram, ARBoone 11. Um, and I have a website, ameliaboonracing.com, but best way to get a hold of me is always Twitter. I tell people. <laughs> yeah. Twitter's good for little conversations, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Amelia, thank you again for being here. I'm going to include links to all your, uh, social media handles and your website in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again. Thank you. And there we have it. I loved my conversation with Amelia, and I think we can all learn a lot from her example. Don't miss her on Instagram at ARBoon11 or Twitter at Amelia Boone. Give her a shout and thank her for coming on the show. I also have heard from a lot of listeners lately about supporting the show, wondering how they can help. And if you think that's the Strength Running Podcast has helped your running, the best way you can support the show is to give us a review on Apple Music and share the podcast with your running friends. You can visit our website at strengthrunning.com. And if you want to see any of our coaching programs, we have quite a few at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. You can also support our sponsor, Path Projects because I couldn't be happier to support them in turn. They've launched a bunch of new products over the last couple of weeks, including the Sykes 5-inch shorts and the Wildcat 3-inch shorts. Personally, I'm really looking forward to wearing the shorter shorts. Anybody who knows me knows that I love short shorts when I run. The shorter, the better. And Path is making that happen. And they do that with a fabric called Tore from Japan. I don't know too much about it, but the fibers are very breathable. They're light, water-repellent, but they're also just really strong. And it's kind of an odd combination to have something so light and so, yet so strong because you can really tell how strong the fabric is just by holding it in your hands. I'm loving it, and the fact that their products are affordable, durable, and very comfortable, it's even better. Even their t-shirts, which I now have two, have become my favorites. Learn more about them and see their new lineup of shorts at pathprojects.com. All right. Thank you all for listening today. I appreciate you being here. And please stay healthy, stay safe, and run strong. <laughs>